Hey there, everybody. Before we get into this episode, I just want to let you guys know that we do have another bonus episode that is available today. We're very excited about this one. We had a chance to interview Melora, um, also known as History of Hyrule on Twitter. We've talked about her on the main podcast before, but basically what she does is assembles every piece of artwork that she can possibly find in relation to any released Zelda game. That includes concept art, promotional art, manual art, box art, anything that you can think of. She's uh, working to get it all collected, scanned in at high resolution and into a gallery online. So needless to say, what she does is a very important part of preserving the artistic history of The Legend of Zelda. And the conversation that we were able to have with her about that was truly spectacular. So just a reminder for anyone who doesn't know, our bonus episodes can be accessed both on our Patreon at patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and also on Apple Podcasts via our subscription service. It's three bucks a month. Um, but there is uh, currently actually a three-day free trial that is available now. And you could uh, listen to both this new bonus episode as well as the five previous bonus episodes we have loaded to that channel if you chose to do that uh, trial. So go give it a shot. Honestly, I say it a lot. Our bonus episodes cover a lot of great content with a lot of great guests, and this is no exception. So, And the cherry on top of this whole thing is that Melora and Max, who is the guest on this episode, are longtime friends. And so this ended up being kind of the Max and Melora rock block today. But Anywho, go check that out. Let us know if you like that content. As always, we are very open to your feedback. With that out of the way, on with the show. Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby. Excited to be really in the home stretch of Link's Awakening, which which feels absolutely crazy um, because it, it truly feels like just yesterday that we started going through this game again. But, I mean, uh, it almost was. Well, I mean, sure, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're recording this on a on a vastly accelerated schedule than we normally would. But still, it's been several weeks and I don't know, you know, I mean, it's three. Yeah, four or five. Anywho. So, yeah, crazy that we're we're getting into this uh, this late stage of the game now, but having a great time with it. I am joined, as mm-hmm. always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby who has told me previous to the recording of this episode that he didn't hate this section of the game as much as he thought he would. So, you're, <laughs> so, so I guess you're, you're in for some solidly like mediocre takes on Matt's part. I don't know. I mean, like, some of them will still be hot. I, I am. That's what I'm here for. Lyndon. the hot takes, the, the gen, the gentle, sometimes not so gentle ribbing like this, what you pay me for. Matt's, I pay you nothing. Matt's here to... Uh, <laughs> I pay you nothing. I mean, that's accurate, Matt's, but Matt's here to dish up some spicy five out of tens. <laughs> yeah, so. okay, well. He pays me in whiskey. Also, you still owe me a cigar because you lost our bet. Which oh, I that's literally true. just I now did, remembered. I did lose the bet. So, yeah. anyway, back to our normal thing. I am very happy to be here, Lyndon. I was actually just thinking while you were doing our intro of, you know, it's a great day in Hyrule. Shouldn't it be a great day in Coho Lint? Because we're not actually in Hyrule right now. Okay, sure. But the podcast, the, like the format has to be respected, right? Like, I mean, sure. If you're like a rule follower, which 
I'm not. I know. Uh, like, that's, what, that's what I'm hinting at. You're like not a, a rule follower. But I embrace the chaos. Like, do this? Right, exactly. exactly. Embrace I guess, the chaos. I guess exactly. I'm choosing this moment to really conform. I don't Fatherhood know, like, is changing you. It's, or, a, ta- it's a tagline, man. Like the, okay, It's a podcast fine. and there's got to be a okay, format. Fine, okay? fine, fine, fine. All right, look, regardless- <laughs> Uh, obviously you've got Matt and I, and that's, a, that's a dynamic. Always but, happens. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but happy to announce that this week, uh, comprises the second half of what we're calling the Max Nichols Link's Awakening double feature. Max Nichols <laughs> of Bungie. Yeah. The extravaganza. I love it. It's Max Nichols to electric boogaloo. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> We have brought Max back on to talk about probably the most interestingly designed dungeon in this entire game. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this one because this is my favorite dungeon of the game. Uh, After our last week, I I decided to sit down and replay the game and try to play this dungeon before we got to this recording, and I totally failed. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I only got to the face shrine. Uh, almost, I guess. I was about to say, but. you were pretty close then. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, I just think it's so funny because last week when we talked, you you loved everything about the face shrine section of the game, but were, were whelmed at best with the face shrine itself. <laughs> Solidly whelmed. Very, like, whelmed. And then uh, this week... I mean, I don't know if you if you feel wildly extravagant about the things taking place around the dungeon, then you haven't said so. But like <laughs> you, you, you seem much more interested in the dungeon. I have less strong feelings. You're right about the the surrounding experience of this dungeon. Uh, although I do love Telltale Heights, which I'll probably talk about more at great length. Yeah tonight yeah we we i feel like early in the season we had a conversation around the musical track of tau tau heights and uh and i don't even care i ain't even disappointed because i'll talk about i'll talk about that four or five more times and it'll be it's, fine it's probably supposed to be pronounced tall tall is it but I, in my head it's always been tau tau uh, yeah, I, yeah, totally agree. I mean, yeah, so I pronounce it in my head too. Who can who can tell? I feel like that's one of those pronunciation snafus that like who can really give you a hard time about it, right? I mean, there are some things. You <laughs> oh, know, you've got someone your, can give you a hard time about <laughs> it, Lyndon. Someone can give you a hard time. You've got your navies and your navies, and you know that's all. That's all very uh that's deserved i'm but, giving uh, Lyndon a very harsh look right now uh-huh. just by the way in case yeah, anyone but, wanted uh, to know but but tal tal or tall tall i don't know who can tell um all right a little bit of housekeeping before we get into that if you didn't know sacred realms is a weekly re-examination of the legend of zelda one little slice at a time sacred realms drops every wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks every week we play a new section of a zelda game Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. I'm actually going to pull one up real quick because uh, in a quick perusal of our channel the other day, I noticed that there was a new one on there, and um, it actually uh, kind of touched me. Like, it it was a very... uh, is a very flattering review and I appreciate it very much. Hold on Read it to us, Lyndon. Um, I will. In that m- mellifluous voice. Okay. M- m- mellifluous. Mellifluous. All right. This five-star review comes from Doc Tuba, which makes me wonder if this is a guy that I went to college with. 
I played tuba in college and played Martin sousaphone in the marching band. And there was this guy, his name is James, and he went on to become an actual doctor of music with a emphasis in tuba playing. And I, and I know we're friends on Facebook, I think, and I'm wondering if this is that guy. So, James, if this is you, let me know, because how many doctors of tuba are out there? But probably not very many. Uh, I don't know. You'd be surprised. Um, anywho, Doc Tuba says, Lyndon and Matt are awesome. My wife loves to watch me play Zelda games, and she loves the story. I recommended that she try and do Link's Awakening along with the brothers, and it's been a blast, albeit difficult for me not to backseat drive. It's a fun thing to do together, and listening to Matt and Lyndon after finishing this week's level is super fun. Love the podcast, and thanks for doing it. Seriously, that's just a whole bunch of nice right there. It was um, so nice. That made yeah. me that made me smile. We, we appreciate that. Honestly, uh our our greatest ambition for this podcast um when we started it up other than the hope that in some crazy way it might make us obscenely rich, which hasn't happened. But No, that's not yeah. happened yet. That's, that's on the docket. It's on the list. Yeah. Sure, that's next. Um <laughs> but but uh, uh, to be honest, our our main goal with this was that some people would choose to play along with us while we were doing these games to keep up with the show, listen week by week and enjoy getting into the experience of a game that they may not have played in a while. And that sounds like what Doc Tuba and his wife are up to. So that uh, that makes us pleased as punch, honestly. I mean, just radiant smiles all the way around. Yep. Can't beat it. <laughs> can't beat it. I mean, it's uh, the dream when you make a game, too. Like, th- that's the dream. Have someone podcast the retrospective of your game while other people play along. Like, we should, <laughs> we should do a Destiny retrospective podcast. Oh, I, God. I, I, <laughs> Max is like, please don't do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look, here's the deal, man. I have other things that I want to do between now and when I turn 85. <laughs> so, like, yeah. But that's that being true. said, there's a lot of that, Destiny out there. Yeah. That being said, Max Nichols, if you ever. Uh, strike out on your own and uh, solo develop a game, then we'll make a podcast about that. We will care. definitely make a podcast. I don't care. About I don't care that. what it is. It could be. It could be like extreme mind sweeper, and we'd make a podcast <laughs> we'll about it, it for you. I'll Just hit you up you. to make a poster for me. Ooh, Ooh well, that I will one. do. All right. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Obviously, by the time of the recording of this episode we have uh we've already had our poll on the patreon to decide what game we are playing next and somewhat coincidentally maybe not but definitely fortuitously the entirety of our patreon has decided that the next game that we're playing is skyward sword hd which uh yeah, seriously, nobody voted against that, which I really appreciate because uh, we love being able to strike while the iron is hot on that one. So and I yeah. appreciate it more. Yeah. Well, and so course, much more. Yeah, of course, Matt. Yeah, Matt loves that. But uh, yeah, it's so. everything I ever dreamed of. So anyway, Skyward Sword HD is coming up next, and we cannot wait to get into that. Obviously, the final episode of Link's Awakening, which is the retrospective episode, should drop on August 25th, and Skyward Sword's first episode will happen the week after that. So it's still got a little bit of time, but anywho. Um, now is a good time to pick it up and maybe knock out the first 
area or two. And we will be publishing a schedule for what we're going like up up front with the mm-hmm. start of the season. We'll let you know what dungeon areas are being tackled on what weeks. Yeah, because so Skyward Sword is a little bit of a beefier game than the other ones we've played. And it's also a little more ambiguous in its starting and ending points. There are a couple sections of the game where you have like a super chunky length of time between dungeons that'll be kind of a slog so we'll try to be transparent with y'all as we uh set that schedule yeah yeah most definitely okay i think that's everything we have for housekeeping except to remind everybody that i'm pretty sure man i keep having to look at this production schedule recording in advance is just uh especially when you're not good with dates and remembering things like you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an artist. I'm a type B personality. We need your wife here to tell us what the schedule is because the, she keeps your schedule for you. My wife is 37 weeks pregnant and she is asleep. So how about you call her and ask her to (laughs) to come over and do this? She still likes me for now. So I'm going to not do that. Okay. So this episode is scheduled to drop on August 4th, which means that, uh, by this point, if you haven't pledged to the Big Goran Sword tier on our Patreon, you missed the July trading card that we had ready to go. But never fear, because we will have another one coming up for the month of August, and it will be Link's Awakening themed as well. So if you want to get in on that trading card game, they are all foil finished, gold edged. They're high quality. I'm really proud of them. Um, go ahead and subscribe to the Big Goran Sword tier on Patreon. And this will be the final month of a uh, Link's Awakening themed design on those but that is truly everything that we have for housekeeping let's get into the sacred realms rundown which is of course a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel today we're covering link's awakening chapter seven which includes the eagle's tower high point of dungeon design in this entire game part one of the uh, sacred realms rundown is as always the plot recap as read by matt as almost always you have gotten a couple I have gotten a couple. And uh, of course, there's yeah, <laughs> of course, there's absolutely no way that we're not really going to do the plot recap right now and just move on to part two. You know, if you didn't say that, they wouldn't know. But but, but will I leave that in? Will I edit it out? <laughs> Who can tell? I mean, you're going to leave it in because it throws me in a bad light. So obviously you're going to leave it in. Probably so. Matt didn't have it ready to go. So look, it is 930 at night and I got off of work at seven. So like, come on, guys. And we had to record an episode right before this. <laughs> I'm running on a tight schedule here. OK, come on. Let's just let's move on into part two since we're not doing the plot recap and we'll do part one in a minute. This has been part one. The plot recap as allegedly read by Matt. <laughs> It will be read by me, just maybe not right now, okay? God, I hate you. Hey, listen. Hey, guys, just a quick note. We really gave Matt hell for this, but uh, it's okay. He has a very busy schedule, so it's not a problem. We actually did swing back and record the plot recap later, so I'm going to dip that into this section here. And, uh, you know, through the power of editing, I probably could have made you all think that there was no pause whatsoever, but but I don't know. I enjoy kind of, you know, nailing that to the wall at any potential opportunity, and uh, this was just such an opportunity. So you get to hear the ribbing in its complete unedited form, but you also get the plot recap. So here that is. Enjoy it. As we emerge from the face shrine, our entire concept of Koholint, the adventure we have been on, and of reality in general, is currently undergoing a ridiculously strong existential crisis. The ever-helpful white light voice thing tells us something 
completely unhelpful in a strange turn of events. Fly like a bird to the tower in the mountain. Look, all I'm saying is, if I could fly like a bird, I would have left this island already. But, oh well, that's kind of how things go around here. And considering what the weird floor face, the owl, the mural have all said so far, it isn't exactly shocking that things are getting a little weirder around here than normal. With quite literally no idea what to do, where to go, or how to proceed in any fashion, we head to the handy-dandy phone booth and dial up the helpline. Or we totally break the fourth wall, pull a deus ex machina out of our butt, and let IGN or Polygon tell us what to do from here. With some actually helpful hints in hand, we head on down to the sign maze to see what we can find out. After plodding around the field and following the extremely specific instructions on the signs, we open the staircase to an area below the maze. Proceeding down these stairs, we find a giant toad named Mamu and his chorus of frog accompaniment. For a meager 300 rupees, which really, what else do we have to spend money on around here anyway, he teaches his Song of Soul, which in his own words can supposedly make everything around you feel more alive. With this odd and still not helpful tip in mind, we continue to wander around Coho Lint with no idea of what to do next. Still not knowing exactly how this song will help us fly like a bird, we take a stroll in Mabe Village. We pass the blue rooster vein for about the millionth time, but this time, the legend of a rooster that can fly is brought to mind. Using the strength from the level 2 power bracelet, we open a staircase below the weather vane and head on down. Unfortunately, all we find are a pile of chicken bones. But using our new soul song from our friend Mamu, we bring the feathered blue fiend back to life. Now we just have to head off to the mountains in the north and figure out exactly what to do with our new friend here. Eventually, we find a cavern that has a very large chasm that not even our trusty hookshot can help us past. So, putting our faith in our feathered friend, we leap over the edge and fly to the other side like a bird. There we find a key shaped like a bird, which is, of course, completely what you would expect in this circumstance. Taking our new key and our blue friend, we head off to the tower on the far east end of the mountain range. Using our new key, we open the dreaded Eagle Tower and head inside. The tower is a mind-bending maze of puzzles, multiple floors, dangerous enemies, and annoyingly blocked off areas that we obviously need access to. And, more worryingly, the area that seems to house the boss fight is on a floor of the tower that we cannot reach. Taking a giant wrecking ball that we, for some reason, found in a random room, we begin finding a way to bring the tower down a level so that we can reach the boss arena. After breaking four decrepit-looking pillars, we feel the tower shake and rumble as the top floor sinks to within our reach. With our new mirror shield in hand, we head off to the top of the tower, but before we can reach the designated boss space, we are confronted by an annoying skeleton creature who attacks us with an odd swarm of bird-like things that he controls with a flute, which is totally reasonable. After defeating these annoying pests, our skeleton adversary declares that he will take revenge on us for hurting his friends, which really, Lyndon, I think this whole thing is kind of his fault. And also, he's a terrible friend. He's treating his friends like 
cannon fodder. Yeah, I didn't really get the relationship here. It doesn't seem like a friendship, though. I don't think I'd classify that in any sense of the word as a friendship. Nope. No, doesn't sound uh, doesn't sound right to me. No, not healthy. Uh, regardless, we head on up to the top floor to confront the boss and earn our way to our next instrument. At the top, we find our skeleton adversary again, and this time, instead of using his little bird creatures, he hops on the back of a gigantic eagle in order to do battle with us. Unfortunately for him, the power of our boomerang, or if you don't have the boomerang, our bow and arrow, are just too much for his feathered steed. When the eagle is defeated, we head down to the room below for our next instrument. The organ of evening calm awaits us there. We take it in hand and store it in our space-defying pockets for later. is our takes <laughs> oh my God. part two is our takes where we talk about what this section of the game made us feel and um gonna go ahead and lead off here because max i feel like most of your big thoughts are going to revolve around the dungeon design itself which isn't to say i don't think you have any feelings about the thing <laughs> the, the things that come before it but um as far as in between sections of the game go after finishing a prior uh, a prior dungeon and working on the lead up to the next one i feel like this one is okay but is maybe one of the most uh I don't know. It, 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 there, there truly is nothing really telling you how to make this transition. Um, it's not just it, <laughs> no, there's, yeah, not. there's nothing. It's not just the fact that you need to resurrect the rooster, which there are textual hints for. Um, especially if you go uh, if you go looking for the eagle's tower, because you know that's where you have to go next. There are NPCs in the game who will give you hints about the rooster and you know that you need to be able to fly over chasms that you can't use things like the hook shot to get over. So there's that hint for you, but the way in which you have to go about reviving the rooster in the first place, like <laughs> so the, weird. the only reason that I knew to do any of this is because I played this game 15 times. So it's like, I, and I, I don't remember. I probably, I probably looked it up on the internet the first time I had to beat it. But I like, doubt that because the internet didn't exist. It did exist. I had dad, I had dad print me out uh walkthroughs for Link's Awakening <laughs> on the Game Boy. In wow. Like, in like 19 freaking 95, I had him print out walkthroughs for me when he would go to work. Um, That's hilarious. Nice. Yeah, I know. Good hook up there. Um, was was game game FAQs around back then? I'm, well, it had to have been like something more obtuse than that. Yeah. Well, there were forums for sure. Like you could go and mm. like download it in like uh, in in text mm-hmm. doc format. And anyway, and to was, be fair, in 1995, our dad was still into video games, so like he was kind of probably getting something out of this as well. Sure. So anywho, um, but the whole process by which you have to learn the song to resurrect the rooster, how are you supposed to know to go over there? Like it's a fun little puzzle to the, like the, the sign area where you have to walk from one sign to another, to another, to another. And eventually it opens up a secret area and there's, um, there's the, uh, the, the, what is he down there? Uh, he's a frog. 
Is he a frog? He's like a very big frog. I think he's a I think he's a toad. He's he's uh he looks exactly like Wart the Toad from Super Mario Brothers 2. Yep. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, which is a dream toad monster, so it's just a cameo. So so yeah, you, you do all this to get him to teach you the third song that you ever learn in the game and uh that allows you to revive the rooster, which allows you to get the bird key which allows you to access the eagle's tower. And that's about the extent of the mandatory story beats that take place between dungeons in this section of the game um i will say that the toad that teaches you this song uh he's okay but man these guys have got nothing on monbo no monbo is is the the og this guy's a little bit of an opera singer i mean he's got that kind of operatic not at all related to the sunfish i mean no obviously very not related to the sunfish. yeah i mean i mean that by itself (laughs) no it makes him less cool than monbo yeah um my my girlfriend is an opera singer so like i have to appreciate this are you calling her that now okay look we're it's it's hit or miss sometimes yeah Okay, well, my this, friend who is a girl who we are sort of seeing each other this, is an opera singer. So. I was like, why would it be weird for him to call his girlfriend an opera singer? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate are that. Are we Max. calling her that now? I'm like, what? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, I tell you what, this episode is coming out four weeks in the future. So you have that amount of time to figure so, to out make that work. Yeah. Whether or not <laughs> to make that's that like official, an official or not. Yeah, that yeah. Okay, cool. My, she's an opera singer regardless yes and she's also a lawyer so like how's that for a combo yeah (laughs) right that sounds like a phoenix wright character yeah exactly (laughs) it really does it really does Uh, i'm sorry what were you saying matt though about that i have to appreciate this toad frog thing sure max okay max what 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 are your thoughts on this whole lead up to the to the eagle's tower (laughs) so uh link's awakening does uh, the thing that's actually common in several other Zelda games where like the f- this home stretch really gets pretty light on story content. Um, like Twilight Princess does that too, if, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, where like there's big meaty story chunks between each dungeon earlier in the game and the last few dungeons are just like rapid fire. Uh, dungeon, dungeon, dungeon. Um, Link's Awakening definitely does that. Uh, mm, yeah, it's also interesting because Link's Awakening is one of the only like it has essentially no optional content, not no optional content that you could describe as a side quest. At least it's all it's all either like golden line stuff, something that looks like a side quest or is actually required. Um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the Song of Soul in the signpost mage. I mean, I guess uh, you could and, say the fishing game is kind of a side quest, sort of. And I guess yeah, it's got mini games. I guess but it doesn't have anything. Mini, mini games is be- mini games is better than side quests. Yes. That's yeah. Fair. Okay. Uh, anyways, so um, probably by the time you're you've reached this point in the game, most players have done all those kind of side questy things, like the trading game and the signpost maze. And and if they haven't done the signpost maze, hopefully they re- they think to look at the telephone booth to get a hint to go there. Um. I think a lot of people, I think when they made this game, a lot of people's like pattern was to just go anywhere they hadn't been yet. And every time they got a new like progression or new item, they just tried again. Um, That was certainly how I played it as a kid. Uh, But I also spent like many hours between each dungeon. So I like, I like revisited every square on the map like 40 times over the course of playing the game. 
Um, but yeah, because yeah, I, is, I agree with you overall. It's yeah. kind of slim, slim on the uh, between dungeon like exposition here. Because this is definitely a point in the game where we we are long past the point where you have had to engage with the item trading quest to progress from one dungeon to the next. Like, I think we're two dungeons past that at this point, honestly. Like, you do not have to have done any part of the item trading quest to get into either the Face Shrine or Eagle's Tower. So we're right. done, we're done you, with that. Uh, you have to... Yeah, yeah. I, never mind, I misunderstood what you're saying. I was gonna say you have you had to do it early way earlier in the game, but yeah. I think yeah. the last time it was required was the uh trading the banana to the monkey for the stick. Am I forgetting something? No, you're probably right. You're probably yeah. right. So that was back with key cavern. Yeah. But 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 there's also nothing in this section of the game really that uh, like like the game expects you to be done with that at this point. Right. I yeah. mean, you should if you if you've been keeping up with it, you have the boomerang by now and the magnifying glass and all that. So so that's done. And instead we get the side quest where you have to resurrect the rooster, which um I appreciate this rooster. He's he's very fun. pretty. Yeah. He's blue. Great rooster. Real great rooster. What is it with Zelda games and blue roosters? That is a great question because there's one in Ocarina of Time as well. Yeah. Kojiro. Mm, Kojiro in the nice. Blue Rooster. Yeah. Only, only crows uh, for the one dude. I imagine it's a reference to something in like Japanese folklore that I don't I'm not familiar with or something like that. <laughs> sure. It's <laughs> like it's like all the kids in Japan knew what a tanuki was the second it showed up in Mario. And in America we're just like, that's a cool fox. You know? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I mean I think you're right. Um, definitely the game is moving you very quickly towards um, towards its ending at this point. It's uh, it's assuming that most of the filler content is stuff you've already completed. And if there's anything else extra that you have to do before you go and beat the final boss uh, and or the final dungeon or whatever, um, then it's things like secret seashells or, you know, maybe you want to be a completionist about the... Um, about the fishing mini game, or you want to get all the dolls in the trendy game, you know, um, it's it's all cleanup yeah. stuff at this point, really. Yeah, and the dolls thing was only in the remake, right? Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a yeah. So that's a, even a layer that wasn't there. Did in, in I suspect original. this is about the point a lot of players, at least in the original game when it first came out, got their hands on the level two sword. Uh, I did this time for sure. If I had really worked on it, I probably could have gotten it in time for the face shrine. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I had already gotten the boomerang by then and I didn't want to make the face shrine too easy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I definitely spent I spent a solid 45 minutes tracking down a few more seashells before Eagle's Tower so I could get the Koholent sword. Um, Matt, is did you get that this week as well? I sure did. OK, cool. Um yeah, and and I mean, it's not like that's not fun, you know. Collecting secret seashells in this game, um, there are few enough of them to where it doesn't become overly tedious. I mean, we're not talking about Korok seeds here, you know. It's <laughs> and, and there is a certain amount Tree of poop. yeah, sure, and there and there certainly is a, an amount of hide and seek that's kind of like the map isn't so big that it becomes tedious looking for them. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially in the switch version where you can get a sensor that 
Oh, that sensor is amazing. Also, the IGN uh, guide is uh, is amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, notably not part of the game. Notably but. not part of the game. No, yeah, exactly. but <laughs> I also didn't feel like feel like spending I, three hours trucking around the map. So I guess I guess if we're going to talk about the pre dungeon stuff, I do want to talk about Telltale Heights real mm-hmm. quick, though. Mm. Do because, it because uh, I've always I always loved the Telltale Heights. They were they they do this very interesting thing where they. Um, it's one of the only places and it's one of the only big overworld areas in the game that has custom music um, and isn't like a town. Uh, so like it, it has a very distinct like identity and you can see it like your first time you can go into the Taltal Heights is really early in the game um, before even getting to level two, uh, the bottle grotto, you can kind of go up one staircase above like Mr. Wright's house Mm -hmm. and like i remember finding that place as a kid and being amazed by that awesome music and like that was the only square i could get to and only had like two squares i could move on um but i would go there and listen to the music and like car drives and stuff yeah but Um, you you could also even before level two in the you can do this in the switch version of the game too but uh you can get up to the windfish's egg which is technically in telltale heights and yep in the Game Boy version, the music theme persisted even when you were walking up to the egg. In the Switch, yep. in the Switch version, they have kind of like a reverent silence as you're walking up the steps. Oh, toward, you're right. Yeah, I, I did. I, I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, so the Telltale Heights was always it's like this aspirational area. Like you dream of finally getting to explore it, and like it, the mm-hmm. game lets you gives you bits and pieces of it throughout the course of the game. Like when you're getting to Angler's Tunnel Dungeon Four you get to explore a little bit of it, but it's always very labyrinthine. And there's these like really harsh, like obstacles, like huge holes. You have to fly over with the flying rooster, but you don't even know, you don't even know how you're going to get over them when you first see them. Yeah. Um, so this is the dungeon where you finally get to conquer, you know, the Eastern half of Telltale Heights. So would you uh, say that, so we, we've talked on this podcast before about how condensed the overworld map of Link's Awakening is compared to mm-hmm. other top-down Zelda games. Um, they do a lot with very little. Would you say that Telltale Heights is kind of in some ways, certainly not intentionally, but a spiritual precursor to the overworld as a dungeon format that we see later in Skyward Sword, where just approaching the next dungeon is a challenge in and of itself? It does a little bit. Um, it, it definitely is a little bit, rather, I should say. Uh, Link's Awakening. So kind of, it's it's hard to draw a harsh line between like, what is a dungeon versus an overworld kind of gameplay and area. But like a lot of it has to do with like, overworlds typically tend to be more open and there's more directions you can choose to go at any given moment. Um, and there usually aren't harsh, like puzzle style obstacles in your way. It's usually just either you can go a direction or you don't have the tool and you can't. Um, so in a certain sense, Telltale Heights is more like a dungeon because it does have fewer directions you can go. It has like tunnels you have to follow and mm-hmm. choices about which direction you have to make. And they're not, they're not interconnected as freely as it is in like an overworld area. Yeah. Um, but it it still doesn't have the puzzles like it doesn't have obstacles that 
you have to play around and figure them out to get rid of them. It's still sure. kind of the lock and key thing that the overworld normally has, where either you have the item or you don't. Yeah. Sure. And it's, I, it's very Metroid in that way. Yes. Like it's, it's very much, um, yeah, it's just that style, which I know is, is so popular in Metroidvania. <laughs> Yes, uh, that, you know, was popular, popularized, I think, by Metroid. And you see it a lot in like Uncharted and yes. some other types of games. So it, it's very prevalent in this section of the game, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think it's very impressive what they managed to do with this in terms of blocking you from further progression, simply because geographically speaking, if you just break down the overworld map into a series of grid sections, Telltale Heights does not take up that much space. But what they're able to do just by virtue of it being a bunch of tunnels that you have to enter doors and like then you're in an interior space, they can create choke points in a way that it it is not quite possible in the more wide open areas of the map. And also they can expand the map because some of those tunnels and, and other things are larger on the inside than they appear on the outside, right? So like what they do is they take what is effectively one, let's call it one sixteenth of the whole overworld map. Because if you if you like segment it, I think Telltale Heights. That's probably that's that's, uh, that's probably a little. It's two by sixteen is Telltale Heights, thirty two squares. It's probably the biggest single area other than Ukuku Prairie. I mean, that's true, but it's thin. Like I, yes. I guess I'm I'm thinking like layers of. I of, love Max. I love that you know that just offhand. Of, of course, <laughs> he does. of course. Just, like that's why we have him on. He's an actual like. <laughs> certified game developer and we're just kind of amateurs over here spitballing our okay random well opinions. actually that leads me to a question max at any point in your life and i'm i you have to understand i'm not asking this in a derogatory manner at all <laughs> nothing but respect at any point in your life have you hand drawn like a grid representation of the Link's awakening map or or any zelda overworld map i i have hand drawn like as an art piece as yeah. a kid Ze- maps from the Zelda games, but I haven't tried to do like a, um, like accurate grid map okay. except for Zelda one, which I, I have tried to do it for Zelda one before. Mm. Um, I think it would be so fascinating if you take each grid section of the map in, in OG links awakening and try to render it in some kind of artistic format to scale you know, and you treat each grid section as its own art piece. That's fascinating to me. Like, I don't know how interested people would be. Of in course, that, it's but. fascinating to you because you drew two scale models of every enterprise, uh, NX01 through E on um, what is that paper called? It's the graph paper, graph paper? on yeah. graph paper. Nice. And yeah, no, like literally it's probably one of the most impressive like technical sketches i've ever seen hey you don't know a galaxy class starship until you've drawn it in scale with a uh, excelsior class <laughs> and starship. a sovereign class and yeah, then exactly so, right. no like sure. literally yeah, yeah, i yeah. shit you not so yeah it's awesome uh when they came out with the switch version of la did you there was a um i try to remember if it was the full map or just a chunk of the map but there was some some like prop maker that they hired to make this like lush luxurious like 
three-dimensional prop that was like a grid of map squares from Link's Awakening. It was gorgeous. They like showed it at PAX and stuff. Yeah, so so Kylie Parker was uh, on the Key Cavern episode. She was telling us, because she was at the E3 after they had revealed Link's Awakening. And they did have a, they had sculptures there that were kind of done to represent portions of the map. And I think they had one or two tiles like that were exact replicas of in-game but they also have one that was meant to represent the whole island but it was not like it was not to scale certainly it was just like kind of a, a representation of Koholint island and had a few recognizable landmarks but uh th- there were quite a few actual sculptures that were made in the marketing of of the uh switch remaster and they're all very impressive it actually made me think of uh do you remember back when mario 64 came out and i don't remember if this was in nintendo power or what magazine it was in but they had somebody come in and make uh sculptural two scale accurate dioramas of at least like bob battlefield for Mario oh 64. wow! I have never seen that. No, Google that. It's really cool. I didn't. I didn't subscribe to Nintendo Power until the Donkey Kong sixty four issue. Oh man! You know, uh, one day I want to go back. Which and I still have. It's a good one to have. <laughs> one day I want to go back and replay Donkey Kong sixty four and see if it's as fun and good as I remembered it being, or if there's just like a whole lot of rose colored glasses going on there. But, um, yeah. That's it. That's it. In any case, Telltale Heights, good music. My biggest complaint about that whole area is that they they you have to swap to the uh, cave music every two seconds. Um, I wish they just played <laughs> the whole same music the whole time. Real, yeah. So real quick before we move on to the dungeon map, Max, if you had to choose uh, original Game Boy Telltale Heights soundtrack or the Link's Awakening, like full orchestral winds and all that, which has like phases to the song, which do you prefer? I mean, if I if I'm gonna sit there and listen to it, I would probably pick the Switch version. Um, but the game, the original Game Boy, you know, sound chip version, it has like a direct connection to like my soul. Uh, so like, <laughs> I still I still love that one, even though it's 100 percent just like nostalgia trigger. It's rose colored glasses, yeah. Yeah, I probably would not enjoy sitting there and listening to that one for more than a couple minutes. Uh, where okay. I would for the Switch version. So sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it's so weirdly coincidental that we're talking about this because I just got a Twitter notification from our follower Nick D underscore TV, who is uh, who is uh, a subscriber to our Patreon as well. Thanks for that, Nick. But he he was listening to the episode that we released today, which was the Key Cavern one, and he said today Sacred Realms Pod talked about the Link's Awakening dioramas at E3 2019. I got nostalgic and wanted to share some photos i took at the event so literally as we've been talking about this he shared pictures that he took himself from the event and it looks like it's a few sections of the map that are created to scale as accurately as possible you know uh, or, or as accurately recreated as they could be to their versions in the game and it looks like one is mabe village it goes from madame meow meow's house all the way over to the rooster and then the um and then Marin and Terran's house. It looks like a a four grid square comprising yeah, comprising that. Um they've got what looks like a section of uh Ukuku Prairie. 
And then also they recreated um, Marin's Cove on Toronto shores with the log uh, that goes down to the beach. And uh, yeah, yeah, if you want to look at those, go follow us on uh, at Sacred Realms Pod on Twitter and check out that post from Nick D underscore TV because these are great pictures. And honestly, like especially if you've replayed these sections of the game recently, the attention to detail in, in these dioramas is absolutely mind-blowing it's so good it is so good man that's blowing my mind anywho we'll uh, we'll retweet those later but absolutely thank you nick for those i also got to enjoy them those i really wish we had been able to see those in person because those were really cool yeah well that was uh man tell you what that was a different age of e3 it was i only, know it was an only age, two years ago <laughs> an age we will most likely never see again unfortunately who can tell all right let's move on into part three which is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more this week's dungeon is eagle's tower which man <laughs> this thing so, uh, like, shivers down the spine <laughs> literally and figuratively has got layers um <laughs> I mean, it's yeah it's, wow it, it really does you're already working on the dad jokes huh you're, you're two weeks away from fatherhood and already working on the dad jokes. trying Love very it. trying very hard max look um you have got formal training in the art of game design and uh i just i would love to get an elevator pitch from you real quick on why you think this dungeon works what is interesting about it okay okay so uh f- the Every other dungeon in Link's Awakening um, does this thing where uh, you explore the dungeon a bit, you can access various parts of it, uh, you can gain access to more of them as you gain keys. Um, Keys are what get your progress until you get the dungeon item. Uh, This was the first Zelda game where every dungeon gave you a dungeon item that then unlocked your access to the rest of the dungeon, which became like a series mainstay, right? Like every Zelda dungeon after this game did this. Yeah. Um, And so that moment where you get the key, I've talked about this before here, but that moment where you get the key item recontextualizes it. You like, you think back to all those switches that you couldn't hit before and all those like weird gizmos that like you didn't know how to interact with them yet. And now you're like, Oh, I can interact with them with this new item. Um, so you kind of, kind of like revitalizes all these past areas you've been in. Um, but the rest of the dungeons don't really have anything where you, you change the state of the dungeon itself. It's just about which rooms you can go to or what you can do within the dungeon. Um, future Zelda games do this thing a lot where they have, uh, like puzzle box dungeons. You hear that term thrown around where like you can, you can do stuff like raise and lower the water in the water temple and, um, swap whole settings of the dungeon around. You can uh, knock knock out chunks of the middle pillar of Snow Peak, uh, or yes. of uh, yeah, in Majora's Mask, and then you can access yeah. different parts. Or, or like in the or turn the, the Stone Tower Temple upside down. Yeah. Yes. Or, or in Ooh, the yeah. in the Triforce Temple in Skyward Sword, literally rearrange the entire temple. Yeah. Yep. So Link's Awakening dungeons don't have that, uh, except. Uh, for Eagle's Tower. So Eagle's Tower, it, it it actually has one of the more boring dungeon items um, because it doesn't really change what you can do at all. Um, it's just the mirror shield. It doesn't. You don't really interact with anything differently. Uh, and it doesn't unlock more of the dungeon for you. Instead, they achieve that recontextualization by uh, in two at uh, two points. One is when you realize 
that you have to carry the ball around. Uh, it has this whole mechanic where you have to, there's a ball that spawns in one room and the whole difficulty of the dungeon is getting that ball to these four spots to throw it at the pillars. Um, and you can't really take the ball through certain doorways and staircases with you. Um, and, and you can throw the ball across barriers that you can't travel. So you kind of have to do like this two, two time traversal problem where you have to get both yourself and the ball to the room you need to get to. Um, so when you realize that you suddenly look at everything differently. Um, so you get that recontextualization in a different way because you learned the mechanic and suddenly you're like, Oh shit, that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it does it again when you finally hit all four of the pillars and the, it becomes the only dungeon in the game where the actual layout of the dungeon changes. Uh, and that, that top floor falls down onto the second highest floor, the fourth floor into the third floor. Yeah. Um, and those are just kind of like amazing moments and it's just mind bending puzzles that force you to think differently while you're Mm -hmm. at it. Yeah. So I have a few things I want to say about this because, uh, I mean, obviously that's a, that's an excellent summary of this dungeon and the way that it works. And I love this dungeon. I, I really do. Um, there are a few things that it does that I think are actually pretty bold for dungeon design in this game uh, that are very much not handholdy. And I respect the Link's Awakening, or sorry, I respect the Switch port so much for not trying to add any extra <clears throat> signposting around the puzzle solving of this dungeon. Right, and because like the 3DS version of um, Ocarina of Time added some signposting, but they didn't add any here. Yeah, they, they left this as hard as it ever there, was, there, right? There, there's, there's some things you have to do in this dungeon that you have no prior experience in Link's Awakening to help guide you towards the solution to that puzzle. Yeah. For instance, so what you were saying, the fact that you have to find a way to get the ball around the dungeon to knock down all the pillars. Well, a lot of the way that you have to do that is by figuring out where in the dungeon you can even throw that ball because there are gaps, there are chasms, there are walls. And um, this is one of those areas where you've got low walls that you can throw the ball over and you've got high walls that you cannot throw the ball over. And it's difficult to maybe kind of tell which is which just because this is all top down and perspective isn't something that is very much a part of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so some of this is is just kind of trial and error, right? Like, or, or, or at least at the very least, once you realize that you can throw the ball over something that looks a certain way, you know to do it again. But yeah, there's nothing in the game that's told you to do that well, before, before this point, really. It's also the only item in the whole game that you can carry from one room to another. Is it really? I'm pretty sure you can't carry like rocks and pots and stuff like they, they don't huh. come with you when you move rooms. No. So that's a that's yep. a weird exception that is like super unintuitive if you've been playing up until this point. Yeah, that's fair. I, I hadn't even considered that. So that's a that's a whole other layer as well. But I think when we're talking about Zelda dungeons generally that undergo dungeon wide changes and allow you to progress further, I can't think of a single instance of. I'm sure there is one, maybe not, but I can't think of one of a dungeon where you do that. You make that change and then the dungeon is irrevocably altered Mm -hmm. after that point. Yeah, there's Mm -hmm. no going back. Yeah. Like in the water temple, you can raise and lower the water. No, that's not true because because the the central pillar in um, Snow Peak, you can reset it. 
How? You can there's a switch you can jump on that resets it. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, played um, Majora's Mask literally a dozen times <laughs> and I did not know that. Yeah, there's a there's a pillar that you can hit to reset it. And then I mean like uh, you know, it. most most of the times these changes are not like you can you can swap it out as much as you want until you figure out the correct way to do it. But in this dungeon, once those four pillars are gone, that upper level falls down and the dungeon is completely changed from that point going forward. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Some people would actually argue that that means it doesn't count as a puzzle box dungeon. Um, Like uh, Mark, Mark Brown over at game makers toolkit who kind of coined the term. I think he coined the term at least. Um, like he, his definition would actually specifically exclude Eagles Tower from the puzzle box label because it is a one-way transition. That's um, interesting. I see. Like when I think, when I at least in the context of the conversations that we have had, I think um, Eagles Tower is the most puzzle box du- puzzle box dungeon that I have played in Zelda because. There's hardly any enemies. The entire dungeon revolves around solving the puzzle of how to break the pillars. But within that, there is the added puzzle of the blue and orange pillars. There's also the added puzzle of can I throw the ball over this wall? Sure. Well, I I, I get what you're saying, Matt, but I think Max is speaking to a much more defined. No, I, uh, I know that. And I'm so, saying that's yeah. I think that that is yeah. interesting the, that someone yeah, would term, exclude this. Sure. The base, the basic idea is a puzzle box dungeon isn't necessarily a dungeon that has a bunch of puzzles or is puzzle focused. It's that's the dungeon itself, like the layout of the dungeon and the dungeon environment, is a puzzle element uh, that you need to figure out. Um, it's like like imagine if a Rubik's cube, you you can contort that whole thing. Uh, but imagine if you couldn't go backwards, and if whenever you went forward, you knew you got the right. Uh, solution right it wouldn't be much of a puzzle right the rubik's cube would no longer be a puzzle at that point like if at a certain point the rubik's cube just locked into place once you hit three out of five steps necessary to solve it yeah when it's a one-way transition you know that it's the right thing and you know that you want to progress it forward it's like a progress a linear progression instead of a multiple states you can swap back and forth between so it's kind of we're kind of in the weeds though this is very semantic argument well, well sure sure but 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 it is fascinating to me max do you agree with the conclusion that eagles tower maybe does not qualify as a puzzle box dungeon based on based on that definition do you agree uh, i certainly agree that by that definition it isn't um whether or not that's a useful version of the definition i am not sure i i think the <laughs> things that are achieved by a puzzle box dungeon can be achieved even if some of the elements are one way. Well, and that's that's um, kind of what I was trying to get at, right? Is that while the end result, the, the the end state of the dungeon may not necessarily be that definition of puzzle box, the entirety of the dungeon leading up to the end state is very much a puzzle box dungeon. In my opinion. It's it's certainly much more it's certainly much more environmental um, than 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 it is combat focused. It's much more centered around you having to 
keep track of the arrangement of the dungeon, the way that one room flows to the next, where the main item, the ball is, where the pillars are. Like you, you have to do a lot of, um, I don't know. Yeah, you have to do a lot of location finding within this dungeon to make your way through it. And uh, so I think that and that brings us back to the fact that it's vertical dungeon. um, So it stresses your mental mapping capabilities much more than any other dungeon in this game. So it's the only one that has multiple floors. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, some unless some you of, count like the underground areas. Sure, some ha- some have tunnels, but that doesn't really count. But the, because those are all like side scrolling when you get down to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right; it is the only one that has multiple floors. And at no point in the game before this have we gotten to except except for when Moldorm can knock you off of its arena and down into the tunnel underground. Um, at no Linden point has a very sore spot in his heart for that. For, for Moldorm, that. yeah. yeah. Um, at, Moldorm is a jerk. But at no other point in the game have we had chasms that don't hurt you when you fall into them, and instead they just dump you into the next floor down. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I guess you know what. I guess there were a couple dungeons that had two floors. Um, Key Cavern has two floors, for instance. Um, it's the only one that has more than two floors, though. Yeah, I might have been I might have been wrong there, uh, but it's the only one that has multi floor puzzle solving where you need to think about the relationship of the upper floor to the lower floor. You definitely have to keep track of your vertical placement in this dungeon more than you do anywhere else in the game, just because if you fall through one of these chasms, you're going to end up, you know, directly underneath wherever you fell from. And you have <laughs> to yeah, that that matters, right? Especially if you have some like the blue switches up or the orange switches down or whatever. Like that makes a difference well, in and, terms and, of And that's what I really wanted to talk about with this dungeon. So like I I went into this dungeon fully expecting that I would dread and hate every minute of it because I generally don't like puzzle heavy dungeons. I like combat heavy dungeons with like some moderate to You're insane. I like, I mean, I like puzzles, don't get me wrong, but I don't love like mind benders that I have to sit there and be like, okay, like plan out every step, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need a whiteboard for this dungeon. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. that meme, yeah, yeah, with the guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, love it. Charlie. Um, So I I expected to really dislike this dungeon. And I, I didn't actually, I didn't dislike it. I, I didn't necessarily love it, but th- there was the puzzles were interesting enough to me that I was like, this is kind of fun to solve them. And it felt extremely satisfying, more so than almost any other dungeon in this game. Tell you what, it, y- you feel real good when you throw that ball exactly. into a pillar. Like, like the the act of destruction that takes place there was just heartwarming <laughs> for me. So um, that was a very good endorphin rush. Every time I finally got where I was going, I was like, giant ball through the pillar. Love it. Um the hardest part of this dungeon for me was not necessarily trying to get from one pillar to the next. It was keeping track of do I need the orange crystal or the blue crystal active? And how does yeah. that affect which rooms I can have access to? That for me 
And also there, there are certain there's like one specific room where you've got the one way door and then the two way door that goes down. And if you go down while the blue crystals up, you can't go to certain areas. But so there's that whole aspect, right, of what is blocking you off from access to other areas. That was by far the hardest part of this dungeon for me was how that, and that's I what makes it a puzzle box dungeon. Uh, th- and that uh, t- that's exactly what I think is. But you know what the funny thing is about that? So there are a lot of puzzles in this dungeon that revolve around orange and blue blocks. Mm-hmm. But here's what I noticed because I was getting I was getting turned in knots about it as well. But here's what I was noticing. There were several areas where I was trying to get to a thing like a chest and those blocks, the orange or blue post would block my way. But I would notice that after I got the compass, I was not getting the tone that was telling me that there was a key in that chest. Here's the thing that I forgot about this dungeon. There are chests in this dungeon, quite a lot of them, that don't actually give you anything that you need to progress further in the dungeon. There's one that's (laughs) got a lot of rupees. There's one that's got a secret seashell. There's all this other stuff. But like, a lot of a lot of the uh, the navigation you have to do in this dungeon to get all everything that's in it is not necessary to beat the dungeon. Um, like, sure, you got to keep track of what the gem is doing in order to get to the the top level, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but that but that's not necessarily too hard, you know. In your opinion, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there is one interesting thing that this dungeon does that it has a lot of one way like we, we talked about one way like dungeon state change already with the floor falling down but it also has a lot of one way navigation um, like the obvious ones are those like circle shunters I don't even know what they're what to call them but the ones where you like step into it and then it moves you to the side right um, but it also has it in the form of like you can fall down a hole and it can be like in order to get back to where you were you need to like flip a switch and then go to another room and like jump over a hole and flip another switch and then go back. And like, <laughs> it has a lot of stuff like that where it, you almost lose progress. It feels like if you make the wrong choice, because you have to redo a bunch of um, kind of traversal and s- switch flipping and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. What one, which, more- Oh, sorry. Yeah, that, that, that's all I have on that point. So go ahead. <laughs> no, cool. what, one thing I do want to talk about before we get into the mini boss and the boss is that the lethality of the enemies in this dungeon does take a bit of a of a jump. I mean, mm-hmm. so you've got Gibdos that show up for the first time in this dungeon, which are a lot tankier than your regular Stalfos. You've got the Kirby's that show up in this dungeon um, and they're they're decently tanky, you know. Um, there are areas where, especially if the posts are up, there are bouncy enemies that are like hitting you while you're trying to deal with other enemies. So, you know, and then in addition to all of that, you've got the Bemos, which, uh, which deal quite a lot of damage. Obviously after you get the mirror shield, those dudes are not so much of a problem because you can stun them. But, uh, wait, really? Yeah. If you, you can deflect the Bemos beams back. I think it. I knew that. Really? Oh my god! <laughs> I, I can't believe like I forty times. I can't believe I told you something you didn't know. Ah, I love it. Yeah, uh, you can you can deflect <laughs> you can deflect the beams back and it stuns them. Um, I think indefinitely until you leave the room and come back. But uh, yeah, with the mirror shield. Yeah, but uh, but also that's the only thing that is good for in this dungeon. Like yeah, 
it doesn't do anything else. It's really cool. I love having a mirror shield, you know, but like also I can think of one thing that it's actually useful for in this entire damn game after you get it. And it, it, it literally is just so that you can get to the next dungeon. You can't get, you cannot get to Turtle Rock without the mirror shield, but that's the only thing that I can think of that you need it for. Uh, aside from not dying to Bemos. I mean, you get you do reflect the I mean, I think you're thinking you're talking about the fire. Where yeah, you have that, to reflect. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all I can think of. Oh, I can't think uh, of much else. by the way, Max, you are wearing a highly appropriate shirt for this. Oh, yeah. For this podcast, by the way, he I is. just noticed <laughs> I can't I can't see it because his he it's he's wearing the the Link's Awakening Japanese T-shirt. Ah, it's yeah, it's got yeah. a love that. Mount Tamaranch. And the Japanese uh, name on it. That's amazing. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, look, I like getting this shield because especially in the Link's Awakening remaster, I was really annoyed that they went with a more traditional looking Hylian shield and not the OG looking Link to the Past design. So I like moving away from the I, I like the I like the the Skyward Sword Hylian shield. I really do. It's probably my favorite. But it doesn't feel right to me in this game, so I like getting yep. this other shield. It's it's supposed to be like this beat up wooden shield. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so mini boss, nothing really to say here. He's a little bit obnoxious just because you have to hit all the birds and then he's done, and you you just have to like he's skeleton dude. And he sends his little birds at you, and if you don't kill them all, then they just keep coming so all all that's required is that you get into one corner of the room well, i was about to say just do exactly the opposite of what patrick swayze says to do go put baby in a corner and then <laughs> and then hit, hit all the hit all the birds exactly exactly so let's just let's go right into the boss because that is the boss i mean like that that the mini boss gets pissed off at you and then goes and becomes the boss um and uh i don't love this boss battle I don't hate it. I like it much more. So there's two side-scrolling boss battles in Link's yep. Awakening. Uh, the Angler's Tunnel was the first one where you fought the fish. This is the second one. And this one is certainly better than the Angler. Like, but not by much. I mean, yeah, he's not hard. <laughs> he's he's it, not. So He's kind of fun, though. I remember him being hard first time I played the game, but a lot of that is because it has it does the same thing Moldorm does where you lose your progress if you get blown off the edge. I don't know if they kept that in the Switch version. They probably preserve your progress. I didn't get blown off the edge, but I'm kind of curious about it now. I don't know. I, I, um, I didn't get blown off the edge either. My thing is that in the Switch version, especially because the sword isn't taking up an item slot and the shield isn't taking up an item slot the rocks feather is permanently equipped and this encounter is really easy to make it through. If you're just dodging all his feathers with the rock, with the rocks feather, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it just never came up. Yeah, that's a good point. Just simply having more items equipped, make this makes this easier. Uh, I don't think I'd considered that. Um, I like this boss a lot for like narrative reasons. Um, because he's the only boss that has that you see before you fight him. Um, like yep. you, he gets like 
two points of character development. He's almost a character, unlike every other boss, which is like one line when you first see them. Um, and he and he's almost sympathetic, right? Because he's sad that you like murdered his friends in the mini boss fight. <laughs> well, yeah, but he uh, like sent them to kill you. So. I mean, yeah, you've, they deserved it. They had it coming, but <laughs> but you still you can still sympathize with him a little bit. Uh, he's he's probably the most intelligent seeming of all the bosses. Oh, definitely, except for, for sure. Deathel. Except for who? Uh, Deathel, the the actual final boss. Oh, is that uh, what the final boss was called? Yeah, but I, I don't it was just called the nightmare. I was just called it the nightmare. Yeah, I feel like that was a name, but it that it only came up in like a strategy guide or something. Interesting. I'd never heard that before. And then I guess the the face shrine boss talks to you in a very like personable way. You know, it, at least he uses complete sentences. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that's true. I, don't, I, don't, he, I have no idea where that name comes from, but all the wikis use it and it's in some of the strategy guides and stuff. So weird. D E T H L D D E T H L. Okay, man, I need to go. I, I'm going to go do some research on that before this episode comes out and maybe I'll editing like that because that's interesting. That's that really is very interesting. interesting. Huh? Okay. Hmm. Okay, but no, you're you're right. And it, it's not it's not that it's not a fun boss fight. The thing is that if you've gotten to if you've gotten to it with the same amount of equipment that I think Matt and I had when we did this, you have <laughs> you've got at the very least the boomerang and the bow and arrow, which make it a lot easier to oh, hit man. this dude. The, the boom but, Yeah, it, <sighs> but like if you've got those two things and you've also got the coholent sword at least, and also, God forbid, if you have the Koholent sword and the red tunic. Which is what I have, by the way. Right. <laughs> I'm quad doing, I'm doing quadruple damage to every enemy in the game right now with yeah. my sword. It's just like it. You, I told, you cheater. I told Lyndon this, so, and <laughs> this is getting a little bit ahead of myself because the this is about Turtle Rock. There are like four or five mini bosses in Turtle Rock. <laughs> I killed oh, yeah, every single one of them, them in three in. hits. It yep. was it was a joke. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I, I I always go blue tunic just for that reason. Like I don't want to make everything too yeah. easy. It but. trivializes too much to to get the the quad damage. Also, <laughs> it's super fun though. Also, a little thing we'll get to in a few weeks from now. But every time before I go to the windfish's egg, I go back to the color dungeon and put my green tunic back on. Ah, really? A good an in game ritual. I love it. Yeah, well, I will not be doing that for a few, for a few reasons. One, I like <laughs> that I like that last boss fight to be hard, but also two, I hate doing the final cutscene of the game not wearing the green tunic. It just feels wrong. But anyway, I mean that's uh, fair. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. But uh, the the eagle is is fun, not necessarily super hard, but at least there's more to chew on here than there was with the angler. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Okay. Like the angler was the most like. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. It's just so easy and boring and stupid. So, and at least the eagle had some. No, more yeah, definitely. The eagle has some mechanics on. where you yeah. actually have to do things or like 
take a different action because something new is happening. Like the angler, you could just kind of sit there and swing your sword and you barely have to move and he never does anything. Yep. Absolutely. All right. That's, that's going to do it. I think for part three, which is the dungeon map, let's move on to part four, which is where we talk side quests and let's promptly move on from part four because there's actually really nothing to get into here. We get, we get the frog song of soul, right? Yeah. So that, like that brings up an interesting point here. So, um, I don't use guides when I play video games like ever Um, in the course of us having played Link's Awakening. I have had to consult some guides just to make sure that I was doing things like the uh, the trading quest correctly or that I was finding Monbo's Mambo or, you know, some some like not. It's the Mambo. Yeah, I did not use guides for like dungeons or areas between dungeons. Um, except for actually I had to use a guide in order to find out how to get to the sign like that. I needed to go to the signpost area. Like I I did have to do that because I literally could not figure it out. But, um, um, when you're looking at a guide from like Polygon or IGN, there is like sections between each dungeon until you get to Eagle tower. (laughs) And then it just goes Eagle tower, total rock end game. Like yeah. literally just back to back to back. Yeah, because exactly, there's yeah. nothing to do between exactly, Eagle Rock. Yeah. Exactly what Max was saying at the front of this. Look, yeah. if we if, yeah. if if you're gonna force me to talk side quests, then let me just acknowledge that yes, I picked up about ten seashells in this section. Yeah. And that's about it. Um I the only thing I can think left to do before Turtle Rock is I still need to catch old Baron. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. I mean like what I did was I went and collected enough seashells to get the Kohulun sword. Yeah. And cool. I did. And that included the fishing game to catch the, uh, the blooper and the cheap, cheap. And like, and then I went and basically dug a lot of holes in a lot of places. <laughs> Sweet side quest. Yay. Woo! All right. Let's move on to part five, which is Z targeting where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happened across. Max, I'll let you go first. Is there a particular enemy or character in this section of the uh, game that you, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I would say the grim creeper who's the mini boss slash the Eagle rider, but we kind of already talked about him. Um, so in this section, it's basically just like. I'll go with the cuckoo keeper, who is the Luigi Ooh, cameo. There you go. Um, he is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which is much more clear in the switch version than it was in the original. But, uh, you know, well, because well, he's was, wearing green the and Zelda cameo game. Yeah. Um, there's some quotes by Takashi Tezuka, who's the like, game director for it. Um, where he said that it was almost a parody of a Zelda game. Like he was describing Link's Awakening <laughs> said that when they were making it, it was almost a parody of a Zelda game. And it's got it's got all the Mario cameos, including this Luigi guy. It's got uh, Mr. Wright, who is uh, Mr. Wright from SimCity SNES edition, who is based on Will Wright, the designer of SimCity. So Will Wright is in Link's Awakening. Uh, which I always thought was hilarious. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so this was this was kind of the final cameo of the game is is Luigi up here by himself with his chickens, Telltale Heights. I like I mean, that. I think that's yeah. a fair one. Yeah, that's definitely. a fair one. Um, which, which which really, I mean, in the original version of Link's Awakening, where there was no color, who could tell? But I picked it up immediately this time because you walk in and it's like, okay, he's skinny, he's got a mustache, and he's wearing green. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> along with literally everything else that's going on in this yeah. game. There you go. There you go. Um, so for mine, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Kirby. <laughs> I, uh, I I really I really appreciate seeing Kirby in this dungeon. Uh, look, all I'm saying is, what's his face? Uh, who's the new Smash Ultimate Fighter? I don't know. Oh, uh, Sakur. Oh, Hayachi. Yeah, Hayachi. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that guy couldn't kill Kirby, but I killed Kirby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> multiple times. Multiple times. Yeah. With the power so. of the absolutely overpowered boomerang that is in Link's Awakening. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I spammed the boomerang. Uh, you know, pop, absolutely pop, 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 out pop, pop. the ass on these guys. So For that sure, was, that was great. So yeah, Kirby is mine. Um, nice to see you, Kirby. Nice to kill you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Matt, who you got for <laughs> Z-targeting? Uh, so I actually completed the item trading quest before uh, this dungeon. So I am going to go with um, our favorite catfisher, uh, Miss Goat. I know she was yours last week, but... <laughs> uh, the goat lady? <laughs> yeah, but this is the first time I've actually like truly enjoyed the depth of her catfishing scheme because I also <laughs> went back and visited her again to get the secret seashell that she gives you. And she's like, you gave the letter to my true love. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> he's in for a shock. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with goat lady. Okay, that sounds good. I also want to give an honorable mention to the blue rooster who uh, uh, real bro. Yep. I mean, truly, we appreciate your your feats of flight. They are excellent. All right. Um, that has been part five. Let's move on to part six in which we put Matt on the spot and make him give us <laughs> God damn it. a one to two <laughs> sentence cap on this whole section of the game. <laughs> Hold on. I got to collect my thoughts. Collect away. Um, so, while the section between dungeons in this um, portion of the game is obtuse and non-impactful, the dungeon showcases uh, extremely thoughtful and forward-thinking uh, dungeon design that carries through into the very next Zelda game Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. um, and really shows um, extreme. What's the word I'm looking for? Extreme prowess by the Zelda team prowess in creating challenging, thoughtful dungeons, even within the confines of a duty space. Okay. Cool. That'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. (laughs) That has been part six of the Sacred Realms Rundown, which, of course, brings it to an end for this week. We'll be back next week with another Sacred Realms Rundown in which we will talk about the final dungeon of Link's Awakening, which is uh, Turtle Turtle Rock. Rock. Of course. It's got awesome music. It does. Yeah, great. Total, like, I know we're supposed to be done now, but one more thing. Yeah. Link's Awakening was the first Zelda game that had custom music per dungeon. And Link's Awakening dungeon music is mm. all awesome. Yeah, like it's it's all actually kind of like ominous and yep dark, but uh, you know I love I love all of it. So um, what was the next? I'm trying to think. Uh, so now that we're out of the Sacred Realms rundown, obviously the next game that came af- that came out after Link's Awakening was Ocarina of Time. What was the next top down <laughs> Zelda game? 
that came out after Link's Awakening? Was it? Wasn't it one of the Oracle games? Oracles. It was the Oracles. Yeah, it was the okay. Oracle games. Well, those all actually had much more, um, uh, much more trickety dungeon design than Link's Awakening did, as I recall. At least Ages did, because that was the- Age, yeah. They did a really weird thing where Ages was like the puzzle dungeons and. Uh, seasons was like combat dungeons. That's why. Except I for the seasons. final dungeon in each one was like swapped. So like the final dungeon in seasons is like the hardest puzzles of the whole set. Do you feel like uh, that's why people look more fondly back on ages than seasons? Just because when you really boil it down, the dungeon design is the stronger element of those two pillars in Zelda. <laughs> I think ages. I personally, I think ages is stronger in almost every way. Um, seasons, seasons actually started off as a remake of Zelda One, um, and it kind of shows a little bit. It's got kind of like simpler dungeon designs and a simpler story. Um, uh, and ages has like this much more character-driven story, and it's got much more of like ambitious, bold dungeon designs. Um, yeah, I think right, so. Yeah, but I've also met people who like seasons better. So you know, okay, all right. Well, I've actually never played seasons, so I'm I I'm not equipped to say. And but. I have never played ages. All right. Well, I guess that puts us in a pretty good position whenever <laughs> we get to those, doesn't it? Because <laughs> uh, I remember when we were kids, excellent. we bought both of them, and then we played the other. We played the separate ones yep. and we never swapped. It was just like we, we had blue and red version of yeah, Pokemon. We, did, we didn't share. What no, are you talking about? Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, before we get out of here, Max, I have two questions for you. One is, uh, and again, if this is a resounding no, then we'll cut this out for you. But um, the next game that we're playing, we let our patrons vote on it this week and it will be Skyward Sword HD. Do you have any interest in coming back for an episode of that game at any point? Yeah. Yeah. I will totally come for a, an episode of Skyward Sword. Do you want Ancient uh, Cistern? Uh, we'll give you first pick on Ancient Cistern. We have not asked anybody <laughs> else this question, by the way. Hmm. I, man, think, this is the Zelda game I remember the least well of like any of them. Think about it. Think uh, about it. Okay. Yeah, we've got plenty I, of time. We got like five. Basically, weeks. I'm torn between Ancient Cistern or like some point where I can talk about the overworld design uh, and like be really grouchy about it. That would probably be the uh, Linearu Mine would be the biggest overworld. Yeah, Linearu Mine is kind of a beating. Yeah. Um, don't be too grouchy. Is my favorite game. Yeah. <laughs> I I be would, as grouchy I as you grouchy. want. It's yeah. his I mean, favorite game. You can yeah. be you can be as grouchy as you want. I'm happy to be the constant contrarian in this podcast. No, I, I like okay. to. Uh, I like to acknowledge that people can have different taste. Thank you. I, I'd be pretty I maintain, bad at my job if I didn't. Yeah, no kidding. I, I maintain that once it in in two weeks, basically from now, when people are playing it, a week, ten days, um, when people are playing it, I think once they don't have fee giving them as many hints and the control scheme is better executed on the switch. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it more than they did the first time. But yeah. who knows? Who knows? 
No, they, they totally will. That was one of the big problems of Skyward Sword. And if they fix it, then Skyward Sword instantly becomes significantly better. Well, and and the the improvements that they have already teased that they're going to make, you know, the optional fee, the no longer telling you what an item is a billion times, things like that. Like those two things by themselves are yeah. already making the game a thousand times better for 90% of people. Yep. So, so last question before we get out of here, Max. How do you feel about the Breath of the Wild 2 trailer? Did you see anything in there that excited you or? Yeah, so uh, my friends and family think I'm really boring when they announce Zelda stuff because my immediate reaction is always to be like, try not to get hyped up. And I like I I don't react too much. And I kind of start (laughs) being like, oh, that looks awesome. But if they do this, then it will suck. Um, so I start like imagining the ways it will be terrible. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 okay. But has it ever, has it ever been terrible? Like every, so <laughs> after the wind waker, every Zelda game they released for 10 years disappointed me more than the last. Let me just say that. that wow. Hurts me. How did, how in wow. the world did Skyward until, Sword disappoint you more until, than Twilight Princess? Until, until Link Between Worlds, which was awesome. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'm excited for it. I think, uh, depending on what they do with those Sky Islands, like it's, it may change the nature of the game a lot and like the nature of like exploration, exploring that world. Um, a lot of games when they put you on islands, uh, islands are kind of self contained by their nature, right? It's like, oh, you are in a, self-contained area and maybe there's like a puzzle for this island so uh if they go too far in that rat route it would make the exploration like less to my taste potentially um but the trailer made it look like they weren't going to do that like they had cool like pathways between islands and like a cool ability to like fly up to the island so yeah so who knows but wonder- i think it'll be awesome i'm wondering if the islands just become more uh more intentionally designed shrines to a certain extent. Yeah, that was one of the things that occurred to me was like, this is these are the new shrines. They're self-contained puzzle areas. Um, and that could be cool. They might do both, right? They might have like big islands that you explore and then also little ones that are the shrines. Yeah. The, the, the big thing that I can't really escape whenever I try to assume what's going to happen in this game, which is a fool's game anyway, because mm-hmm. who, who knows what Nintendo's going to do, you know? Mm, only uh, Nintendo? Only Nintendo. But uh, one of the things I can never quite escape is the knowledge that this began its life as a Breath of the Wild expansion, you know? That's, that's a very good point. And so, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That world is immense, and if they've expanded on it in a in a very meaningful way, then... You know, who cares? Like, if it feels different, then it doesn't matter if it, it's using a lot of the same geometry. I mean, I don't dislike A Link Between Worlds because it reuses a bunch of the map geometry from A Link to the Past. You know, that that means nothing to me. But yeah, it'll be interesting because a big part of Breath of the Wild was the like the feeling of exploring that world. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's the same world, then you're not going to have the same feeling. Um so it all depends on how much they change it, uh, I think. And it, it, from the looks of things, they have they seem to have landed on, you know, this strategy of big chunks of land flew into the sky. So that'll change all the land below, too, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, you would certainly hope so. Although there is always the option that it could just be like some version of Skyloft. 
and it wouldn't change the geometry below. Yeah. Or or like a time travel thing or something. Or a time travel thing. Or a time thing. travel thing. One, There's one, always the Star Trek One thing option. is for sure, it cannot be a coincidence that this game appears to borrow so many thematic and and environmental beats from Skyward Sword. And there's no and way they've that, just re-released Skyward Sword. I was about like, to say, there's it, no way that's a coincidence. There's got to be something there. Like, I mean, they, um, yeah, there's definitely like there's there's certain concepts that they've always been inspired by. Uh, I think it's probably more of a case of like they're chasing some of the same goals that Skyward Sword chased, and it just co- I think it's probably a coincidence that there's a remake at the same time. Hmm. They wouldn't have changed the design of Breath of the Wild 2 because there is a Skyward Sword remake coming. Um, but it's serendipitous. Or or maybe, I mean, they've got people working. They've got the same people working on both games and uh, they feel like they're in a, a better technical position to realize their vision for exploration in Skyward Sword with this new game. I mean, obviously they're partitions between gameplay areas in skyward sword that mm-hmm. that only exist for technical reasons because they were developing around the wii you know and yeah. that's not the case anymore who knows i don't know i'm nobody knows we'll we'll find out in like a year and a half when this game comes yeah. out I don't so, know. so if even like, then as much know. as i love everything about skyward sword i am more interested to see breath of the wild 2 stand on its own two feet as a spiritual and lore wise successor of breath of the wild because i think there are so many good bones there that breath of the wild 2 could take to the next level and and like I love Skyward Sword, but like, please don't make me a Skyward Sword sequel. Make me make me a Breath of the Wild sequel that blows my mind. Breath of the Wild and Skyward Sword are like polar opposites. Oh, for sure. Anyways, yeah, yeah, I I agree with you there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for uh, this time around. We're creeping up on an hour and a half. This has been a great conversation. Max, seriously, man, we we always really appreciate having you on. Your perspective is unique and uh, and and we value it very much. And so much more well informed than our own in most cases. <laughs> yeah. Except for about the mirror shield. Uh, <laughs> we're all yeah, no, I, I'm always excited to be here. I have I have more Zelda knowledge and opinions tumbling around my brain that i know what to do with so it's good to have a place to talk well we're happy to give you a place to just let them all out that's (laughs) that's kind of the whole reason we started this podcast was we didn't know what to do with all this crap floating around in our brains just like oh we should probably talk about it and anywho to all of our listeners you can uh you can Bet your bottom dollar, or may, actually, maybe don't do that because that's not wise. <laughs> but like Max is, Max is going to be on again, so you know, and, and we'll be ha- we'll be thrilled to have him back when he uh, shows back up. Um, Max, is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to, and any social channel you want to give people to uh, follow you on before we get out of here? Yeah, uh, if if anyone's interested in hearing more of my rando game design thoughts, uh, I talk about game design pretty frequently on my Twitter, which is just at Max Nichols. Um, that's all I got. Cool. And uh, as always, this is just another reminder that uh, if you are not playing Destiny 2 right now, you really should be because it's a, it's in a great place in a good place. So <laughs> go do that. Uh, now that they've plugged Destiny, I'm legally or I'm by policy required to disclose that I work at Bungie. This is not a false, <laughs> a fake advertisement or anything like that. 
All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Max Nichols. Uh, he is a gentleman and a scholar, literally a scholar. <laughs> um, and we we appreciate him being on. Um, obviously, if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, please head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Link's Awakening Chapter 8, which mostly deals with uh, the Turtle Rock dungeon, final dungeon in the game. It's a beefy one. What does What does mostly mean? Uh, I don't think that mostly means I don't think we're really going to be doing anything else around that. I mean, you okay. can talk about that cool turtle head that you have to fight. To get into that the, actually, yeah, that, the right. turtle head is kind of cool. Yeah. It's a little bit cool. Uh, will I catch old Baron? Who can tell? <laughs> will Linden catch the fish? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to try, so oh I, sur- I certainly won't. <laughs> Link's Awakening can be played in its original format on the Nintendo 2DS or 3DS or on your trusty old Game Boy or Game Boy Color or on the Nintendo or on the Zelda Game and Watch, which actually I've said this five weeks. Now. Matt, will you please just Google when that Game and Watch comes out? Oh yeah, okay. it may not G- even matter. <laughs> it yeah, may but- not matter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it will matter to people who come uh, and catch up, like post. I just don't know. Like, it looks cool, but also I own Link's Awakening. The Legend of Zelda and Zelda 2 on the Switch already. So, like, I don't know why yeah. I would get the game. I already own five November different versions 12th. of Link's Awakening, and I couldn't help myself but order that thing. When, <laughs> when, when does it come out? November 12th. Oh, there you go. We'll be done with Skyward Sword. Yeah, and we will. Then you'll be able to get the game and watch. <laughs> So if you're listening to this in like, like November or December, go pick up the game and watch if you can find it. I don't know. If you're in 2022, then <laughs> go get that game and watch and you can play the original version on that. Uh, of course, you can always play the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the one that Matt and I are playing. In the meantime, may your hearts be full and may your arrows never miss. We will catch you guys next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!